Hello, and welcome back to The City Speaks. This is episode number two. And we're going to begin with the classic proverb that any, uh, you know, any investor, any business mogul will tell you. You never want to be the smartest person in the room. But we're going to take that one in the interest of lateral application, which is something I'm a huge fan of thinking about. I think it's you never want to be the most interested person in the room. I think there's uh, there's an argument for this. Um, so essentially my whole life, let me back my way into this with a long story. Essentially my whole life, whenever I've had a, a hobby, especially as it related to gaming, I've usually been the most interested person that I know. Not most interesting, most interested, which means in my friend group, my peer group, whatever you want to call it, Nobody's really matched my interest. And over time, this can get a little bit discouraging in some ways. Um, Much like as a general rule of thumb, if you watch speedrunning, trying to beat a game as fast as possible, a community for a certain game, the larger it is, generally speaking, the more optimized the run is going to be. And so if you have more people to share your hobby with, generally the easier it is to get deep into that hobby, in my experience. So a lot of my hobbies early on, like Rock Band 2 is the, or Rock Band and Guitar Hero rhythm games are the biggest ones, um, biggest one right away. That one was definitely my seminal moment of, you know, holy, I can do gaming. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. This is cool. And of course, you know, I was on YouTube. I was very passive. I didn't really involve myself in the community at large too much. I posted YouTube videos and stuff like that, but I didn't really have any friends in the community. So all of my friends in my real life uh, were not as that has into rock rock band as I was in guitar hero, they had their own stuff going on, you know, classic high school stuff, whatever, whatever they were into. And, uh, as a result, you know, eventually after a few years, my interest waned and, you know, maybe that is normal. I went away to college, uh, you know, lived in residence, couldn't exactly bang on the drums at two in the morning without waking up everybody on my floor and becoming the most hated person in the entire universe. Um, but at the same time, it was always, it always felt not stifling, but I felt like I had so much I wanted to talk about and I didn't really have anybody who I could talk about it meaningfully with. Um, and then I guess a few years later I had League of Legends and that one was much more of a personal journey for me. Like I, I didn't, I never had aspirations to be like amazing at League of Legends. I wanted to get good at it and I played it a lot, but, and I did play it with friends, which is part of the reason I played it so long, but there was never any aspiration about like becoming one of the best players in the world and, and stuff like that other than you know your classic fleeting like esports when you're early 20 something late teens where you're like oh man i could totally do this all day every day with no breaks and totally have no work-life balance that would totally be a positive for me um so then there was rocket league and rocket league max and i actually started playing together i got him into it uh because it was free on playstation plus so he came over and we played it together and we had a blast split screen if you can believe that that was a vomit inducing experience for a lot of people I'd imagine different FOVs and two screens at the same time I was it was uh, quite I don't know how we did it but eventually he got it on PC and then I got it on PC as a result so we could play together and uh, then Rocket League became my focus for a few years and that game I did get quite good at I got and you know I, I flex about this all the time uh, even in my last episode I think I brought it up but either way I played Rocket League a lot and Max never was in as into it as I was so I eventually found a couple people who you know, and, and this is how I started my streaming community. And so these folks were into Rocket League like I was. And so that's something that helped buoy me through five years of playing the same, you know, driving around the same map, hitting the same ball into the same net. Uh, that and the core gameplay itself, obviously. But the way that I was, part of the reason I was able to stick with it for so long was 
in my mind because I had these friends, I had community, I was watching YouTube videos, I was watching streams, all that stuff. Uh, and I had my own Twitch community that I was building around this hobby. So eventually I wanted to stop playing Rocket League because I, I ran out of goals. I didn't have anything else I wanted to do with the game, which is a common theme for me. Uh, and I stopped playing it. Uh, and then I got into Fall Guys. And Fall Guys was really the first time that I succeeded in really reaching out to the community at large. Uh, I made a lot of great friends in the community. Um, and and that, you know, staying, I talked about it last time, staying up till five in the morning with the, with the homies playing Fall Guys was one of the, you know, in September of 2020 is one of my favorite memories with the game. Um, and so as a result, again, I was able to get into that and stay into that. Um, but even, even then, it, you know, well, not with Fall Guys. The Fall Guys, there's always grinders. There's always going to be people. But in my real life, which is disconnected from my streaming life, um, there was still not really anybody who played Fall Guys in my, in my, in my, you know, circle of friends that I hung out with on the regular, um, outside of streaming. Now, the good news was for, for Fall Guys at the time, streaming was basically my whole life. I, I've been a full-time streamer since 2019 and I've been, you know, struggling my way along like most of us do. And I found success with Fall Guys and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, and it was my whole life. I streamed, I would stream eight hours a day and then I would play another four or five hours with friends, not glorifying this lifestyle. It's not for everybody, but this is what I did. Um, and so I always felt like there were people that I could talk to about the game and, you know, that would get excited with me and, and that we could converse on the same level. I kind of compare it. And I've been talking to Mary Lynn about this recently because, you know, I'll complain about streaming or I'll complain about trophy hunting or, or something in a, a hobby that I like. And it never, it, you know, it's, it's no fault of hers. She's just not as into this stuff, but I compare it to her uh, because I don't want her to feel like she's not supportive because she's the most supportive person in my life about everything I do. Um, but it's it's almost like ranting to a coworker about work versus ranting to a friend about work. Unless you want somebody to just shut up, listen, nod, smile, and say, yeah, that really sucks. Ranting to the coworker is always going to be more fulfilling because they understand exactly what you're going through. They're going through it as well. So you can commiserate together or, you know, whatever. The, I'm sure there's positives to this too. And I guess my, my example with hobbyism would be a positive where you have people where you could rant and get excited and, and get pumped and theorycraft together and stuff like that. Um, so I talked to Mary Lynn about everything and she is very supportive, as I said, but obviously there's only so much she can contribute. Just like when she talks to me about her work, there's only so much I can contribute. I will engage and talk as best I can and what I know, but I don't know the inner workings of, of her job, just like she doesn't mind. So it's, it's kind of the same thing where having a hobby where you have nobody really to talk to it about, it kind of has the same sort of stifling, like, loneliness that you get from this and this is this is a concept that i i talked to my dad about uh because I, I mentioned it to him just just on friday actually two days before i'm recording this because i've been coming to the realization that i'm, I'm kind of lonely um and not in a way that like you know i have my amazing community and i love all of them but in the in a hobbyist way in the way that i've been talking about up to this point and in i guess in this case because it is my my job it would be professional loneliness of you know with trophy hunting i've got people in my community you know who you are who, who trophy hunt themselves and stuff like that. And I've, I'm in a trophy hunter discord, but I, I don't feel, a, you know, especially in the trophy hunter discord, which is where I would, I would be searching for it more. I don't feel like a big deep connection where somebody's going to sit up and have a, have a conversation and, and talk about this stuff. Everybody that I've encountered, uh, in the trophy hunt, which is, you know, a small minority of them, obviously, because most people are pretty quiet, but most people I've encountered are just kind of like, you know, they're in their way, they're doing their thing. 
they'll gatekeep some stuff. They won't gatekeep other stuff. That's, a, that's another story. And even streaming, content creation as a whole. Uh, recently, I've been feeling a little bit, outcast is such a, now outcast is the wrong word, but um, I guess isolated by my approach to it. Um, I'm not blaming anybody else. Everybody's got their own approach, just like I have mine. So, and I'm not looking for, you know, anybody to be like, yo, man, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick around, whatever you do. That's, that's not really what I'm looking for. It's more like the way that most people view streaming is not the way I view streaming, you know? Um, and there's dozens, hundreds, squintillions, if not tens of ways to view streaming. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky to find somebody whose views line up with yours, but I look at, you know, large scale content creators and, and uh, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, of the type of content that they produce. I would, I've said multiple times on stream, I would never want to be a super massive creator uh, because I just don't, don't like what that entails a lot of the time. I don't want to have to be constantly advertising stuff or playing whoever pays me the best, playing whatever game is made by whoever pays me the best or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit tricky. And then even on the smaller side of things, I made a video a year before I started playing Fall Guys, a year and a half before I found any success with streaming at all about small streamer privilege um, and and how there are a lot of takes in the small streaming community that, you know, are just, I don't agree with. And so what ends up happening is that it leads to this feeling of like, am I really the only one who feels like this? And I'm sure, you know, just like any kind of loneliness, we've all felt that way, you know, Am I the only person who thinks this way? Am I the only person who sees sees what I'm doing this way? And the answer is probably not. Uh, not the most satisfying answer. And so when I spoke with my dad about it, he he uh, he owned his own business in tech, and so he also had to have like a he's a, a much more driven individual than I am in a lot of ways. But you know, talking to him, he was like, "Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from." You know, that was something that. Uh, and he, the the nice thing was he didn't sugarcoat it. He, he didn't hit me with the classic, like, oh, it gets better. You know, it's going to get better. He was like, that might be something, you know, that's just part of the job. And I, I like that mindset a lot. And I, I apply this mindset to a lot of things because especially mental health stuff, um, or at least my own struggles with my own uh, inner workings, I suppose. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that so broadly because everybody's situation is different. But for me, my lack of motivation and, you know, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed in the morning and stuff. I've never been diagnosed with anything, but what I have sort of realized is that maybe this is something, you know, I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life. So rather than looking for a miracle cure, that's just going to fix it. And then I'm going to be normal or I'm going to be functional or whatever. I view it as like, this is a beast I have to tame and I have to be able to control this and work around it. And that's worked for me to a point. Um, but back to the whole professional loneliness thing. Uh, this is not meant to be like a sympathy sympathy getter or anything like that. I just like talking about my experience because one of the positive side effects that I had hoped would come out of streaming was that people who felt like this, you know, who were, you know, maybe when they're into Rocket League or when they were into Fall Guys when they were younger, they had somewhere to go where they could totally geek out about it and totally get super hyped. And there would always be somebody there to match that hype level or even exceed it. You never want to be the most interested person in the room. It's always so amazing to be around people who are so passionate about something that you're passionate about because then you can build on that and it's very motivating, or at least I find it motivating. Um, so I, I sort of, you know, I was bummed about this for a day or two and I was thinking about it and I went on a walk because I, I try to go for a walk every morning and I'm pretty good about it. And uh, I sort of realized that the, the best way to combat this type of loneliness is just to keep putting myself out there like I like I have been. Keep keep trying to find people. Keep putting the effort in. 
it's, it's almost like dating in a way, you know, because you're still trying to find some sort of relationship. It's like a friendship, but it you just can't give up. And it's a really unsatisfying answer because, but the alternative is just give up. You know, like, what are you going to do? You're going to stop trying? If you stop trying, then there's never a chance, you know. If you try, at least there's a chance. But it's frustrating because on the day-to-day, it feels worse because you're constantly getting this feeling of like, damn, I, it didn't work again. It didn't work again. So it's tricky. I also think that I'm slightly better at getting into communities. Fall Guys really taught me a lot. And, you know, my experiences with that game were, are, are invaluable, are going to be invaluable for my content creation career going forward. It's just being able to integrate myself into a community and, and make friends and connect with people, which is super important. Um, but, you know, back to the small streamer thing, I think a lot of people sort of view networking and, and making friends and collabing as sort of this like magical you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and we all win. There's infinite money in the world and we all grow. Um, when in reality, it's like forming an actual friendship is so much more than, you know, collaborating on a stream. Obviously, these things can lead to friendships. And I'm sure, you know, many of you, all the thousands of you listening could probably give me examples of creators you know who met via collaboration of some kind. I, indeed, like I, when I got into Twitch Rivals, I met Stuart, one of my one of my close Fall Guys friends. And he was you know, instrumental in helping me grow my stream early because he had a bigger stream than I did. So I got super lucky to know him as a friend. So it has happened for me. You know, it's not, it's not out there to think that it's going to happen again. You know, it's just, you know, you go through a long spell of it not happening and it it gets discouraging, I guess. But, and, and the fact that I can look back through my life and see this as kind of a pattern is, is, uh, you know, maybe it's just who I am as a person. Maybe I approach hobbies too idealistically or something i definitely think i'm a little bit too idealistic about streaming as a career i i uh, i'm nostalgic for the days of yore when i wasn't streaming so aka i didn't know what i was talking about where it seemed like just being good at a game was enough to get you an audience or that was the main focus you know hobbyism gaming creativity that was kind of the thing instead of you know like the the classic stuff you see of like react content and and uh stuff like that but uh or just, you know, manufacturing drama to get your name into being spoken out loud more because that's how algorithms work. What a really, really good non-toxic system we exist in, huh? But anyways, that's enough about me whining about the big guys. I'll move on from this topic now because I think I've covered it and stammered my way around it long enough. And uh, again, it's not meant to be a tearjerker thing. It's just meant to, you know, give you a little insight how I'm feeling. I've never shied away from talking about what I'm feeling and the struggles that I'm going through, but I do like to process them a little bit before I talk about them. I'm not one to really have a sad day and go on social media and post about how sad I am because it, I, I don't personally find that that helps me. Um, so I like to at least try and get some sort of concrete idea of what is actually making me sad so that I can, you know, devise a plan forward. It's aggravating, but sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So let's move on to the second topic of the day, which is going to be a Polygon news article that some of you might have read. So the headline of the Polygon article is Elden Ring's Millennia embodies from software's problems with women and so for those who don't know elden ring is a game by from software it's a it was a very popular game that came out in february of this year and millennia is an optional boss who is i think in my opinion and i think in the community at large's opinion one of the hardest bosses in the series and probably the hardest boss in elden ring she's optional though um so this this headline in this article um i'm not going to get too much into the content of the article at least at first um and i'm not going to pass judgment so much on the on what exactly this person is arguing but the author of the article is arguing but more the way they argue it but for now we're going to stick with probably my biggest issue with this 
And this is, again, I understand that, you know, this is a gaming publication. It's a pretty banal example of what I'm about to talk about, but I think it's something where identifying it on this level is important uh, so that you can learn to combat it yourself. Like, I'm sure I I say things, I've been trying very hard to not use absolutes when I talk, not say, you know, like, this is always like this, or it's never like this, or you never see, or you always see. I know I still do it, but I try and correct it you know, ad hoc. So till I can get my head wrapped around not speaking like a Sith Lord, shout out to my Star Trek fans. Um, now that I've triggered away half my audience. So the biggest issue I have with the article is the fact that it is an opinion piece. Um, because all of this stuff is, you know, a critique of a character in a fictional game based on somebody else's opinion. So, and indeed a lot of the hyperlink sources in the article are in, you know, random people's Twitter posts or Reddit comments or whatever. So it's not denoted anywhere as an opinion. You know, I uh, I browsed the news widget on my iPhone a lot, so I'd say I'm pretty well-read and cultured. But in the publications that I see, if there's an opinion, it'll say, like, opinion, and then the headline, or editorial, and then the headline, or so-and-so, like, whoever is making the claim, their name, and then the headline of the article. This one was just, Elden Ring's Millennia embodies from software's problems with women. And, um, like, not even how Elden Ring you know, how Elden Ring's Millennium body is just that she does. And so I think there's a there's a big issue with that systematically of of a gaming publication refusing to categorize its content correctly. Um, and you can make a link to this and, and this being so, for example, this article is an opinion article. The sources in the article are other people's opinions. You will you might see people see i shouldn't say you will there because i don't know you might see people in the future cite this article as an example of from software's problem with women um women characters in their game as the article alludes to later uh and so somebody is citing an opinion of an opinion of an opinion and that to me is a little bit troublesome because you know at some point we're just going through opinions and opinions in my, in my opinion, <laughs> should be based on something concrete. So the content of the article, I will go on. There are, this article does make claims. So there is, you know, they're, they're basing it on something. Uh, but anyway, for now, I think, you know, you could make the connection between this kind of marketing of, and who knows why, I don't know why Polygon is marketing it this way, why they are failing to classify the article as an opinion article. Um, it could be for clicks. I don't know. Um, the, the most obvious thought to me seems to be, you know, it's a clickbait article. They're trying to get as many clicks in. That's why they say problems with women, not women characters. That's why it's not denoted as an opinion piece. It there's, you could, you could definitely make this claim. And I think it's the most likely one, but again, end of the day, I don't know. So for whatever reason, they are not classifying this article in, in the correct way, I think. And so of course, I, I'm well aware that this is a super banal example. It's not very harmful. It, it, it's not harmful really at all in the broad scheme of things. But the mechanism for misinformation is still in place. And I think in communication, especially in a written medium and especially, especially online, precision is something that I value very highly and I think should be valued more highly because you get misinformation from lack of precision in communication a lot of times if it if it starts from a non-nefarious place. Somebody says something and gets misquoted somewhere, but people then misquote that misquote and then misquote, and then it's a giant game of telephone where nobody wins and everybody ends up mad at each other. So this I know this is kind of a banal example, and I know that tying this to misinformation is is a little bit out there. And I'm not saying that this was like deliberately planted to, you know, to state that like 
from software hates women or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the mechanisms are still there. And once you start using them yourself, it can become very difficult to, I mean, look how much trouble I have not saying always or never, you know, it's, it's tricky. And you, and it's a habit that you eventually form because it's easier. You don't have to clarify anything. You don't have to qualify anything. You can just say whatever comes to mind, but that I don't think that's always the best course of action. Um, I think stuff should be processed and thought through and things like that. So as for the content of the article, um, whether or not I disagree with it is, sec is is completely irrelevant to what I'm talking about here. Um, this is more of a philosophical question. Uh, and the idea is, so a couple of points about the article. These are some, some quotes, somewhat paraphrased, but pretty much intact. So the article says that a common theme of Souls games, of women in, in from software games, is sharing specific brokennesses of disfigurement, abandonment, and loss. So the issue I have with, with that is that the games are about disfigurement, abandonment, and loss. For those who don't know, brief summary, the three Souls games, which makes up half the Souls catalog, the From Software's catalog that we're talking about here, um, they take place, the world goes through an Age of Fire and an Age of Dark. And every game, Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, and Elden Ring, it kind of follows this, takes place at the end of an Age of Fire. So the world is in decay, it's crumbling, it's headed towards ruin, the age of dark. And at the end of the game, your character gets to decide whether to link the fire and prolong everybody's shitty lives for a few more years, or whether they just go ahead and, you know, kickstart it, hard reset, and just start the age of dark. So the whole world, every character in it, essentially, that you can come across, is suffering from, from these brokennesses that are cited. Uh, disfigurement, I mean, look at Bloodborne. Abandonment, yes, their gods. In a central tenet of most Souls games is that the gods have abandoned their duties, and you have to bring them to justice by killing them, I guess, or whatever. And loss, aka the loss of everything—your era, your world, your universe, your worldview, everything. So to say that this is a um, a specific trait that that is written specifically for women in the universe is, I think, a little bit disingenuous because every single character in the universe is dealing with the entropic decay of their world. Um, then another one is that they say is that. All the characters in From Software games erupt into all the female characters, excuse me, are either completely docile and relatively mute until they erupt into shrieking, horrified hysteria. Millennia is not a great example of this. She is super not docile. She's trying to kill your ass. She's defending her, her brother or whatever. And in her second phase, you know, when she transforms into a scarlet rot monster, essentially, she's not shrieking. She's not hysterical. Uh, she's not she's poised and continues the battle and in fact even when you kill her even when like she suffers her first defeat ever she is one of maybe three bosses in the game i can think of her and horalu who actually are are very sportsmanlike i guess complimentary of you you know your strength befits a crown incredible strength for a tarnished you know stuff like that and so saying that you know she erupts into shrieking horrified hysteria feels a little bit disingenuous especially when you look at something like, I don't know, most of the bosses in Bloodborne again, like Ludwig, who is a giant horse, speaking of disfigurement, who is a giant horse with two heads, stands on two legs and has like 80 eyes in his mouth. And he is just a shrieking, hysterical former, he's an animal. He's lost his humanity because of, you know, the blood curse and whatnot. At least that's my understanding of the lore. But when you, when you can apply every argument to basically every character in the Souls series, there are plenty of, plenty of shrieking, horrified, hysterical undead or you know ungendered characters or male characters or whatever so to say that you know the women in the from software universe are all exclusively like this is is just kind of wrong um 
And the, the last one is, when faced with a difficult, defiant woman who has never been beaten, men cannot help fantasize, but fantasize about being the one to take her down. I I don't know. I just, uh, that, how are you going to not indicate this article as an opinion article? Um, you could also say, you could also take woman out of that sentence and put literally any boss's name in, of, of from the From Software catalog into that slot, and it would be and then you could replace men with gamers. When faced with a difficult, defiant warrior who has never been beaten, gamers cannot help fantasize about being the one to take them down. That is something that is completely completely endemic of the Souls franchise. Like, you, you get to the end of the game and the final boss has never been beaten, otherwise he wouldn't be the final boss. And then you have to beat him. And the drive to finish these games is the drive to beat a boss against all odds, essentially. It could be applied to basically all of Soulsborne's bosses and the From Software's bosses. So... The philosophical question, you know, after I provide counterexamples here, the philosophical question that I would like to pose here is, if an opinion could be easily refuted, should it even be held? And this is, you know, it's a dangerous thing to say, because on one hand, it completely sounds like I'm gatekeeping having an opinion, which is like probably the worst gatekeep you could possibly have. But on the same, on, on, the, on the flip side of the argument, if you have an opinion that is and that you make claims to support, and these claims can all be counterexampled very easily and very numerously, and you refuse to adjust your opinion, is that fine? Obviously, everybody is entitled to their own opinion, but I don't know, in Spider-Man, I think Uncle Ben says something along the lines of, I don't know, to pull a random quote out of my ass, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that with having an opinion comes the responsibility of, of being able to discuss it. And Presenting it as, as fact in an article where all of your sources are other people's opinions feels a little bit weird. Um, and again, this is nothing to do with whether I agree with the argument or not. The article is well written, you know, make it from a mechanical standpoint. Uh, everything is, all the duck eyes are dotted and the T's are crossed, to use a very on-the-nose idiom. Um, but it, it is a little bit strange to me that, A, this article is, that's the first one, this article is not classified as an opinion article anywhere. And B, to hold an opinion when there are so many counterexamples that are very easily identified. Um, so I don't really understand it. You know, I've, I've racked my brain and I've tried to think about it. And uh, the the person who wrote this article, I, I'm not entirely sure how you could publish this as a think piece, but as fact, it, it's just, it, it blows my mind. I'm not really sure. Again, I'm not gatekeeping anybody's ability to have an opinion per se. I think it is important, though, to uh, A, be precise in your language, classify your articles the way the, the, for what style of article they are, I think. And, uh, and if you have an opinion that can be easily refuted, is it worth holding that opinion? Especially if you refuse to adjust it at all. So if I present this person, you know, and I'm sure somebody did along the way, if I present this person with complete counterexamples to their to their points is it still worth holding that opinion is it still worth being like no it doesn't matter if i said my opinion is that the sky is blue all the time it's always blue and somebody was like well no i mean it's you know it's blue a lot of the time sure but you know when it's overcast it's gray when it's rainy it's it's like a dark gray when it's sunset or sunrise it can be any number of colors orange pink you know anything across that spectrum when it's nighttime you get to see into space and space is pretty black it's the blackest black you can think of and I was like, nope, still blue. Does that seem, I don't know. 
it seems a little bit weird. Obviously, we're dealing with a little bit more subjective media here uh, with fictional media and stuff. But even inside that fictional media's universe, there are facts, right? The, media, the universe cannot exist if, it, if we don't agree on some central things. Uh, so it, it just feels a little bit weird. Anyway, I think that's going to be it for this episode of The City Speaks. Let me know what you guys think. I mean, you absolutely fire back some points. I'm open to hearing about them. Uh, you know where to find me. Twitter, Twitch, Discord the classic twitch.tv slash spark city at the spark city on twitter by all means fire back um I'd, I'd love to hear maybe i'm not thinking of something there there's often times where if i think about these things too often by myself i end up going into a, a bit of a loop and not being able to break out of it because of my own biases so by all means uh you know fire away and and like i said i want to stress again i know that these are really really banal examples of this uh, of what i'm talking about with you know, connecting, connecting, not labeling an opinion article as such to misinformation, and uh, if it, and and then asking a broad philosophical question on an article that was probably just written for because some guy had a deadline to meet and wanted to write an article that that would get some eyes on it. Um, I know that these are very banal examples, but I I think it's important to notice these examples even in uh, these mechanisms even in banal places uh, because once you start to see them everywhere. Or, you know, once you start to see them in other places, you can really, I think, broaden your worldview a bit and sort of sort of realize different things. And I think lateral transferability is important, like I opened this podcast episode with. Anyway, I'm rambling, so I'm going to head off. But thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate guys and gals for listening. Really appreciate it. Hope everybody has a good week until, I, until you hear from me next week. Uh, but until then, bye-bye.